Howdy, y'all. I'm Jace Wilkie, and welcome to Plugged In Politics. If you want to stay plugged in to all the policy stakes and drama on Capitol Hill and beyond, you've come to the right podcast. Now, after an extended hiatus, I figured it's time to come back in the ring. You know, the last episode I uploaded was back in March, and I've missed out on a lot of easy views, so I might as well try and catch up. You know, considering the amount of time spent since my last episode, I might as well start a new season of the podcast. This season will attempt to have deeper topics, longer episodes, and new content structure. I really want to develop the main audio projects to be as good as they can, and see how we can grow this project via social media. But I'm putting the cart before the horse here, so today I'm just going to cover the standard three topics and just wade back into a rhythm. You know, it's honestly good to be back on the microphone. I missed venting my thoughts on politics. But so anyway, we have three really good segments to cover. Uh, We're going to start off today with Hunter Biden pleading guilty on federal tax and gun charges, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton's impeachment, and Representative Lauren Boebert files articles of impeachment leading to a brewing catfight between the Colorado representative and Marjorie Taylor Greene. So let's not waste any more time and dive right into this. So, according to the Department of Justice, Hunter Biden, prodigal son of President Joe Biden, will plead guilty to two tax misdemeanors and has struck a deal with federal prosecutors to resolve a felony gun charge. Uh, This is going to be coming out of CNN, uh, their article on June 20th. Now, as far as the plea agreement, uh, the Justice Department has agreed to recommend a sentence of probation for the two counts of failing to pay taxes in a timely manner for the years of 2017 and 2018. Now, Hunter Biden owed at least $100,000 in federal taxes in 2017 and at least $100,000 in 2018, but did not pay what was due to the Internal Revenue Service by the deadlines. Uh, A judge will have the final say on any sentence. Now, the charges were detailed in a criminal filing in U.S. District Court in Delaware, where the U.S. Attorney David Weiss, a Trump appointee, has been conducting the investigation that at one time explored allegations of money laundering, foreign lobbying, and other potential charges. So, it seems pretty clear here. Uh, Hunter Biden has no wiggle room with the tax charges. Uh, He had to plead guilty. Where things get interesting for me is with the gun charge. Prosecutors have been examining a 2018 incident in which a firearm owned by Hunter Biden ended up tossed by his, you know, then-girlfriend into a dumpster in Wilmington, a person briefed on the matter said. Uh, Hunter Biden described in media interviews in 2021 that he was addicted to drugs, which is no secret, come on. And this raised the possibility that he broke federal law when he bought the firearm. Now, federal law prohibits firearms and purchases by anyone who uses or is addicted to illegal drugs, and CNN previously reported that federal prosecutors were weighing possible charges connected to making a false statement related to the gun purchase. So, what is Hunter facing as a punishment? Well, it's pretty light, honestly. For his tax charges, he faces a maximum sentence of 12 months in prison and a $25,000 fine for each count. That seems pretty light for delayed payments on $100,000 in taxes. However, it seems like there is leniency in part due to him eventually paying back the IRS, but still does not strike me as a typical punishment. What's extremely odd to me is the deal he struck for the felony gun charge. Hunter Biden is expected to avoid prosecution uh, on the gun possession charge as long as he remains drug-free, agrees to never own a firearm again, and completes a two-year probation period. So, wow. That is incredibly lenient, especially in part of David Weiss, who, in theory, being a Trump appointee, should be rabid on Hunter's case here. 
But considering everything that's happening at the moment, I think there is a bit of protection going on here. I mean, he's the president's son, for crying out loud. However, I'm going to side with my instincts and say that there's certainly some shady stuff going on here to prevent Hunter from being put in a jumpsuit. However, I can't lie, the conservative backlash has been hilarious to watch. You know, considering that Trump has been indicted on 37 felony counts, and yes, I'm going to cover that, just give me some time, there was obviously going to be an outcry from the conservative base, including the big orange man himself. In fact, on June 20th, Trump had posted a true social quote, Well, the current Biden DOJ had cleared up hundreds of years of criminal liability by giving Hunter Biden a mere traffic ticket. Our system is broken. End quote. Look, don't get me wrong. I think this whole deal is really fishy and atypical. But come on, dog. Hundreds of years? I understand that $100,000 is certainly more than your typical delinquent tax dodger, but the average jail time for tax fraud and evasion is like three to five years. So don't even. I think it's just the 37 felonies getting to him. But frankly, I don't really care all that much about this case. Sure, it seems slimy that Hunter is getting this good of a deal over charges that should be carried with a lot more weight and consequences, but a gun charge on a drug addict and tax evasion don't really take that much priority in my mind when compared to potential violations of the Espionage Act and the willful retention and possible dissemination of classified documents. In a, in a just world, I would certainly have liked to see Hunter get more than a, you know, a mere slap on the wrist. But this is the hand that's been dealt. The only major consequences that I see coming from this is now the Republicans have ammunition for segments on Fox News, Newsmax, and more talking points for, you know, the 2024 presidential election. Honestly, I would respect the GOP's talking points on this issue if they didn't always call it back to the laptop pictures and, and escorts. Like, I've never seen a group of people more obsessed with a man's dick than these guys. Okay, so taking a break from Capitol Hill, let's bring things to my backyard. Uh, so Texas is a strange place. Not only are things heating up to 100 degrees outside, uh, it's also heating up politically. So in early May, the Texas House Committee filed 20 articles of impeachment against GOP Attorney General Ken Paxton, ranging from bribery to abuse of political trust. After the chamber voted to impeach, Paxton was suspended from office. Now, the allegations include attempts to interfere with foreclosure lawsuits, issuing legal opinions to benefit real estate developer Nate Paul, and firing and harassing whistleblowers on Paxton's staff. So for those of you who don't know, Paxton has been a troublemaker since day one in office. In 2015, having been in office for less than a year, he was indicted on felony securities fraud charges for allegedly persuading investors to buy stock without disclosing that he would be compensated for it. And I can already hear potential detractors. That's one example over seven years since then. Oh, just wait. I live here. And like the rest of my fellow Texans, I've had to deal with his chicanery this whole time. Trust me, we'll get to that. But before then, let me officially introduce you to who Ken Paxton is. You know, give you a little rundown on what this guy is all about. So, first and foremost, this guy champions himself to be a religious crusader anti-abortion, strengthen religious liberty, etc., etc. This includes being a hypocrite regarding his supposed allegiance to the Constitution. So back in 2015, following Obergefell v. Hodges, the landmark Supreme Court case that rendered same-sex marriages, you know, legal protections, Paxton wrote an opinion 
encouraging county clerks, justices of the peace, and other taxpayer-funded employees to object to issuing marriage licenses to same-sex couples on the grounds of retaining religious liberty. So, you know, just casually throwing out, you know, the, the, the founding document of this nation. Just, you know, just casually. Just in a memo. Just, you know, kind of encouraging it. Oh, God, do we love bureaucracy. Now, there's a whole laundry list of things I could also bring up on Paxton, including his efforts to limit mail-in voting in the state in 2020. But I think my favorite story is his getaway efforts to avoid being served a subpoena. So, back in 2021, Paxton was one of the legal architects of the Texas abortion ban and abortion tip line systems that would not only prosecute doctors and patients, but also people who helped finance and facilitate travel to receive an abortion in or out of state. When trying to get an idea of how Paxson would enforce this policy, uh, Fund Texas Choice, the North Texas Equal Access Fund, and the Lilith Fund for Reproductive Equity sued to get Paxson to testify his legal intentions. Flash forward to the summer of 2022, a process server wrote an affidavit that he was attempting to deliver the federal court subpoena to Paxton's home. He stated that Paxton avoided him in the house for over an hour before dashing towards a truck that his wife had been driving before speeding off. Like, this is the ultimate game of, I can't see you, so you can't see me. So yeah, we have a rather interesting guy here on the docket. That's the crap we're dealing with down here. I'm not going to be diving into more of his, you know, escapades because we'd be here all day. So, on the grounds of his impeachment, we have some interesting stuff to cover. So, of the 20 articles of impeachment, I find a handful rather interesting. So, first, one of his alleged crimes is his interference in foreclosure lawsuits and harassment within his office. But what jumps out to me is the alleged bribery charges stemming from Nate Paul employing a woman with whom Paxton had had an affair with in exchange for legal help. So, the way this, this you know, is painted from my perspective is that Paxton allegedly had an affair with a woman, and in order to keep this under wraps, he may have arranged for his real estate buddy to employ her, you know, on the condition that, you know, he offers some uh, legal services. Jesus Christ, man, you're new to the game. Like, the ghouls on Capitol Hill would tell you rule number one of political sexcapades is to wear an eyes-wide-shut mask. Duh. Also, I, again, when I say he's a hypocrite on many issues, it's even the whole religious liberties and religious uh lifestyle grift you know having an affair with your wife real real pious of you but all joking aside this is some crazy stuff so what happens from here well paxton is set to answer for 16 of the 20 articles in an impeachment trial set for september 5th this year seeing that a republican majority house impeached him and how infamous his exploits are it looks like paxton is set to be ousted if you get ousted by your own party, a party which is infamous for its lack of accountability, you massively screwed up. I don't know how I can honestly emphasize that any more than I can right now. I honestly don't have much commentary here, uh, but it's such an interesting story that in my backyard of all places, so of course I had to cover it. Not gonna lie, I hope this sticks. I hope they oust this guy. I mean, he's just gonna get replaced by someone with similar policies and beliefs, but and be back to square one, but at least there might be less corruption here. Keyword, might. Okay, so this is the segment that brings the drama to today's podcast. 
Out of NBC News, on June 20th, Colorado Representative Lauren Bober introduced articles of impeachment against President Joe Biden that would have forced the House floor to vote. Now, the articles offered by Boebert focus on Biden's handling of immigration and the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, Boebert said, quote, President Biden's negligence of duty has resulted in the surrender of operational control of the border to the complete and total control of foreign criminal cartels, putting the lives of American citizens in jeopardy, end quote. The six-page impeachment resolution argues that Biden has abused his power and is derelict in his duty as president leading an administration, quote, that has continuously, overtly, and consistently violated federal immigration law by pursuing an aggressive open borders agenda, end quote. However, drafting articles to impeach Joe Biden is nothing new. In the 117th Congress in 2021, Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene drafted articles within less than a month of Biden taking office. But that one never gained traction in a Democratic majority House. That same year, Boebert also attempted an impeachment effort and failed. Even though times have changed and the GOP has the majority in the House, there's not enough of a majority to move these articles really past the committee. Unlike other impeachment efforts, Boebert utilized a procedural tactic that requires the House to hold a floor vote. Uh, by bringing the impeachment to the House floor as a privileged motion, this requires members of Congress to vote yay or nay on his passage. However, leading up to this vote, House Democratic Whip uh, Catherine Clark out of Massachusetts stated in an email that the House is, quote, expected to take a procedure vote on the motion to table the resolution. Uh, passing a motion to table the resolution would essentially block Boebert's impeachment efforts. Boebert eventually, you know, tried to introduce the privilege resolution to the floor on Wednesday and was unsuccessful in getting it passed. It was tabled. But I hear you saying, Jace, Jace, a, a failed impeachment attempt. We get that. What's new? You promised there was going to be drama. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, there is. And we're going to be touching on it. But like all good drama, there needs to be just a little bit more backstory. So, story time. Uh, back when I was working in Washington, D.C., many professionals surrounding Capitol Hill had two categories that they put politicians in. There are the doers, and there are the influencers. So the doers are your more policy-focused politicians. You know, they draft legislation and take active strides to grease the wheels of government to get things done, for better or for worse. The influencers, on the other hand, are politicians that simply make noise to garner attention, galvanize support, and get campaign contributions. So, for example, let's reference two totally respectable Texas senators. So, everybody and their mother in this country knows of or at least has heard about Ted Cruz, whether it be through genuine acts of publicity or Trump touting about spilling the beans on his wife or, or something. He's got a podcast, he's incredibly active on social media and televised broadcasts. His most notable exploits are through influencing. He's an influencer. His more reserved counterpart, however, John Cornyn, is incredibly active behind the closed doors of Congress and has had a history of getting legislation across the board consistently. Now, he has all the same policy positions and views as Ted Cruz. He just doesn't have a podcast or the presence online. He's a doer. So wrapping this all up to a head, Representatives Boebert and Green are influencers through and through. They use their committee hearings to gain sound bites, and they use crazy publicity stunts like, you know, MTG's White Balloon back in, what was it, February? Yeah, February. All to gain attention and campaign contributions. There's a reason MTG is one of the biggest fundraisers in the House of Representatives. Now, how does this impact the impeachment? 
I mean, they both filed for articles in the past to impeach Biden, and they've made the last two and a half years of their careers just wailing on him. Shouldn't they both be on board with this? Well, on June 21st, when Boebert failed to get to the floor vote on a resolution, tensions boiled over when the two had a testy exchange on the House floor. Boebert approached Green, who was initially seated in the chamber, and confronted her about, quote, statements you made about me publicly, end quote. Green then called Boebert, quote, a little bitch, end quote, and then accused Boebert of having copied articles of impeachment she filed against Biden. Boebert then pushed back at Green's claim, saying that she had not even read Green's resolution. Ah, oh, this is, ah, oh, yes, yes. Bring more. So, Nick Dyer, a spokesperson for Green, confirmed to NBC News that the outlet's characterization of the interaction was accurate. Green then said, quote, I had already introduced articles of impeachment on Joe Biden for the border and asked her, Bobert, to be the co-sponsor at the time. She didn't. She basically copied my articles and then introduced them and then changed them to a privileged resolution, end quote. Now, this is just another chapter in the growing feud between two sophomore lawmakers that's been brewing since the 2022 midterms. At that time, Republicans had a disappointing outing at the polls, and the two had fundamental disagreements on who to blame and where to go from there. Boebert went on the offensive, claiming that Trump's approach had, to some extent, cost the GOP the midterms, whereas MTG was rather defensive on this point. Things really heated up when the pair butted heads on Kevin McCarthy's speakership vote, Boebert and the rest of the Freedom Caucus made it their mission to keep McCarthy out of the chair in order to force concessions, while MTG was an ardent supporter for Kevin, even resorting to that stunt on the House floor by showing herself on the phone with Donald Trump ordering that they vote for McCarthy. But let's be clear here. This is not just about fundamental disagreements over leadership. This runs deep into the way that they both, you know, run their games. They both want the same thing. They gain attention and get campaign contributions. Now, what stunt would get the most clout in their campaigning circles? A set of impeachment articles that actually gains some traction and stays alive long enough to get a few weeks or months worth of media coverage. Seeing that it's Green's identical articles, and it had potential to gain more traction than any of her previous attempts, I'm going to lay it out there, she's jealous. She's pissed that someone is stealing the thunder, and that someone just so happens to be Lauren Boebert, who she has petty beef with. This, this is just beautiful. It's like I'm back in primary school, and you know we gotta do it. We just, this is mwah, just beautiful, A-tier drama. And to, to really just wrap this all up, when asked, about Green's, <laughs> when asked about Green's claims that she copied a resolution, Boebert said, quote, I'm not in middle school. End quote. <laughs> I, I can't, I, I can't top this. It just speaks for itself. What more comedic seasoning can I add to this? Bobert beat me to the punchline without even knowing it. This, this just makes my job too easy. Like we established earlier, there wasn't any substance derived from this whole fiasco, but it's a sign of a brewing instability within the party from its most extreme members. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how this feud plays out in the 2024 election cycle and how it affects the Republican Party at large. But personally, I'm just hoping there's a fight out at the playground to settle this. I mean, I, I, it seems pretty appropriate.
All right, you guys, that's the show. And I really want to thank you all for, you know, tuning in today. We're going to get back in rhythm, keep our ears to the ground on more stories, and, you know, just send my ramblings out to the sound waves. If you haven't already, please make sure to follow the show's Twitter at Politics Plugged to get updates, new episodes, and more. Take care, guys, and I'll see you in the next one. Thank you.